Hey everybody, I'm Tim Muma and you're listening to localjobnetwork.com radio, the place to get job search and career insight from a variety of experts. Now this is I Want to Be A, where each show we complete that title with a new profession, bringing you an experienced guest to give us the inside dish. Speaking of dish, how about home plate? Do you think you have what it takes to call balls and strikes in a big league baseball game? Well, this episode will examine what it takes for anyone out there who has said that I want to be a major league baseball umpire. And on the phone to fill us in on the details today, we have veteran umpire Ted Barrett joining the show. Ted has been a major league umpire for more than 15 years, so he has plenty of insight for everyone interested. Ted, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Tim. Thanks for having me on. No, definitely a pleasure of mine. I'm a, a huge baseball fan. I, I might get on the umpires once in a while, but uh, that leads me kind of to the first question is what really attracted you to this profession? When did you think this is something you wanted to do or could do? Just kind of take us through your thought process and your path a little bit. Okay, well, like uh, like a lot of umpires, I grew up uh, playing baseball and playing a lot of sports, different sports. Football was the sport that I liked the best. When I was about 14 years old, I got talked into going out with a buddy and doing a little league game and you know, with umpiring, it's something that when you first try it, you either love it or you hate it. Sure. And uh, I was on the love it end of it. So uh, it's just something I remained interested in, even, even as I continued playing. As I went on to play football in college, I continued to uh, do it as a do high school games as a part-time job. You know, my buddies were out working in fast food places or, or uh, working somewhere. But my part-time job was umpiring high school baseball. And I just uh, I loved it because I was outside. I was part of a game that I really liked. It was about that time that uh, I went to a local clinic. Uh, there were some professional umpires teaching it, and they encouraged me to uh, give it a shot and try professionally. And so that's what I did. I was probably about in my early 20s when they encouraged me to do that, and then uh, I was about 23 when I gave it a shot. So what were some people's reactions when you really started kind of on your journey to become a professional umpire? How did they react then? And then, I guess, as a side piece to it, how would they react now knowing that, you know, the position you've held for so many years? Well, you know, the minor leagues, it's, it's uh, becoming a professional umpire. You have to start at the bottom of the minor leagues. And so it's such a long shot to get to the major leagues that a lot of people just, um, you know, you've always got the people that encourage you to follow your dream. Mm-hmm. And you've always got the naysayers who say, uh, you know, you're crazy. What are you doing? <laughs> and it's funny now because now as I'm a major league umpire and, and gaining experience in the major leagues, a lot of people say, yeah, you know, I, I knew him when he started and I always encouraged him. And you know what? I don't remember it that way, but, <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you have a lot more supporters now than you did back then, probably, I'd say. Absolutely. So when it comes to the path to becoming a major league umpire, as you mentioned there, you got to start at the bottom and work your way through the minor leagues. Can you give the listeners maybe an idea of, of what it's like to tow that road in the minor leagues and what that path is like and just the challenges? Because I think people often see you guys with, you know, or players at the big league level, and, and that's all you really see. You don't get to see that nitty-gritty, challenging part of the minors. G- give us a little taste of what that's like. Well, absolutely. You know, a lot of people think, well, I'd love to be an umpire. Uh, how could I do it? Well, the reality is you really got to start very young. If you get to be about 25, 26, and you haven't started yet on your, on your path to being a major league umpire, you're not going to get there. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't realize but the only way to get into professional baseball is to go to umpire school. Now, there's two schools down in Florida. You've got about 150 guys at each school. So there's about 300 people a year that go to umpire school. They're going to take probably the top 25 from each school. If you're selected from there, you go into a program that minor league baseball runs. So you've gone from 300 to 50 now. Mm -hmm. Out of those 50, depending on how many job openings there are that year, you're going to get placed into the minor leagues. Let's say it's an average of about 35 to 40 a year to start at the bottom, like I said, um, 
rookie ball, low level. Right. And then from there, you progress to A ball, double A. And all along the way, guys are released. Some guys quit on their own. But by the time you get to the major leagues, usually there's usually one guy from each umpire school class that eventually becomes a major league umpire, usually uh, 10 to 12 years, 10 to 12 year journey. So, for example, in 1989, I went to the Joe Brinkman Umpire School. Myself and Jeff Nelson, out of the 125, 130 guys that were there, the two of us made it to the major leagues. Wow. So that's pretty typical for a year. So you're looking at about a 10-year journey. At the major league level, we are, we're compensated pretty well. Mm-hmm. We have a union contract. In the minor leagues, the compensation is terrible. <laughs> uh, you're not doing it for the money. Uh, we make even less than the players. You know, you're driving your own car uh, from city to city. And although conditions are getting better every year, they stay in better hotels now than we did. We were in flea bag motels um, <laughs> trying to uh, just survive day to day, living on very little money. It, it's quite a journey as you go through. You go from, from A ball to double A, and now the guys get provided minivans to drive around, and they're not in their own cars. When they get to triple A now, a lot of times they're flying, especially in the Pacific Coast League. Okay. So things, conditions are better, but they're still not great. Uh, right. So when you, get, when you go from the minor leagues to the big leagues, it's literally like going from the outhouse to the penthouse. So <laughs> things are much better at the major league level. But every major league umpire has paid their dues sure. going through the minor leagues. And um, a lot of people don't realize also that when you get to AAA and you're invited to spring training uh, to work a major league spring training game, it's kind of our tryout just like the players are. Okay. And then we will get called up to the major leagues to work vacations, injuries. So we have a lot of guys any given time in the major leagues there are still AAA umpires working in the big leagues. Right. Usually about 15 to 20 guys. Then they're just waiting for an opening for someone to retire. And God forbid one of us to pass away. Then they're just waiting for their chance. They might go five, six, seven years waiting for enough openings for them to get a job. And uh, a lot of those guys, after a few years, they'll let guys go to make room for more guys. If you picture it, it's a reverse funnel. We've got a wide bottom with a lot of people getting in and extremely narrow at the top. So... A lot of it is it's being at the right place at the right time. We added new jobs for replay last year, so we hired six new umpires. That's a huge year in umpiring because on the average, it'll be one, maybe two, many times no openings. We have gallows humor. Um, you know, sometimes guys will say, boy, I hope a plane goes down, gets, gets four of them. There'll be four openings. I mean, I know that sounds <laughs> terrible, but that's... I, I think people understand. Yeah, I think people understand the the thinking there. I mean, it's, there's obviously no intent, and some of the stuff you're talking about. I, I don't know how much sympathy uh, any fans are going to have for for you guys. I, I'm sure that's hard to come by, but uh, but I think it does show, as you said, all, all you guys pay your dues, and when you do get to that point, it, you're there for a reason. So I do appreciate you kind of filling us in on on that path. When you get into the big leagues, then because again, that's where you're going to be most seen and most recognized now. Walk us through what a typical day of a game is like in terms of, you know, is there preparation that's going into that game or into that series? Just kind of what's going on leading up to the to the game. Then we can get into some of the details of a game itself as well. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people, they're watching a ball game and, and they might think that we just maybe live in that region or we live in that city and we show up. So much of our job, especially people that travel professionally know what I'm talking about in the post-9-11 world. So much of our job is spent traveling airports, security lines. You know, you watch your ball club, they'll play a game, and then they jump on a charter flight right after. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't have that luxury. Many times if we play a day game, we are really sprinting to the airport, trying to get uh, return the rental car, get through the line, get on our flight, get to the next city. Many times we play a night game, we have to get up early the next morning. I'm talking about 
having a night game, not getting back to the hotel and getting to sleep until midnight, 1 in the morning, waking up at 4, trying to catch a 6 o'clock flight for the next day, getting into the next city. So, so much of our time on the road is just travel, airports, once we get in, trying to be able to, uh, trying to be able to sleep because we've got to be rested. You know, I tell people we have to be on top of our game at 11 p.m. Uh, we have to be mentally sharp, physically sharp. You know, we might be in an extra inning game. So much of our time, too, is we crisscross time zones is trying to get rest. Mm-hmm. Also, with trying to maintain our proper nutrition and working out. If you look, that's one of the biggest changes in umpires over the last uh, 15 years since I've come to the big leagues is that if you look at us, we're all in pretty good shape now, especially if you look at most men in the 45 to 60-year-old range. I think we stack up pretty good. Uh, you know, the old stereotypical 350-pound <laughs> umpire right. uh, is gone now. We're trying to, to maintain a healthy lifestyle on the road. And like I said, so much of it is travel. Now, the good thing is once we get into a city, you know, and then we play that night because we don't have a whole lot of off days, the next day now you've got a little bit of time in a city to um, – kind of decompress, relax during the day, mm-hmm. get ready for the game that night. And then a lot of times, like I said, on the last day, we're playing a day game, So, and then on to the next city. So it just seems like from the end of spring training and at the beginning of April, opening day, until now, we're, uh, we're running to the airport to catch a plane. Sure. If people knew what kind of effort we put in just to make sure there's four umpires at a game, I think they'd be amazed. So many times with weather delays, delayed flights we are literally like jumping off the plane jumping in the rental car driving to the ballpark you know and then the average person they have a a crazy travel day like that they're going to be able to to uh, get to their hotel and and rest Uh, we don't have that luxury we've got to get on the field and go so i think that's the part that the fans don't see right is what kind of effort we put in just to get to the ball games unfortunately for you guys it's it's typically best if you're uh not noticed so to speak on the field on the flip side of it, obviously, you wouldn't be doing it if you didn't love it because uh, despite being well compensated, it's um, all the challenges that you have as, a, as an umpire. What do you love the most about being a Major League Baseball umpire? You know, one of the great things is, is sometimes you just got to pinch yourself. You realize how great it is to be involved in, uh, in any professional sport, but uh, especially Major League Baseball. You know, a lot of times um, I catch myself, especially out in the Midwest in the middle of June on a beautiful night, you're standing on a field going, wow, this is pretty cool. I'm a, I'm a major league umpire. And then uh, it's cool to be a part of history. Sunday I was working in uh, Chicago and Paul Canerco uh, yeah. was retiring and the fans were out honoring him. It was a cool outpouring of emotion and watching on uh, television Derek Jeter in Boston. I mean, did you ever think that the Boston fans would be giving a standing <laughs> ovation to a You know, we were there earlier this year and it wasn't even his last trip and they were giving him a standing ovation. Mm-hmm. So that's a cool thing. I've been a part of, um, just been on the field for watching a guy hit a cycle or or throw a perfect game, and you're thinking, wow, baseball's been played a long time, and that's only happened. You know, perfect games, there's only been 20-some in the 100 and 130, 140 years they've been playing this right. game at the professional level. So it's just neat that uh, I think one day I'll look back after I retire and, and think about World Series and playoff games and record-setting games and to say, wow, you know, I was on the field for that. To answer your question, I think it's cool that I really have been able to witness history firsthand and, and uh, look back and say, hey, I, I was a part of that. Played a bit role in it, but just to be out there is, is, is really cool. Well, and of course, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, especially a perfect game 
as I'm sure uh, many fans of baseball remember from a few years ago, that you guys can play a, a huge role in it. And uh, unfortunately, sometimes it's it's on the wrong end. But I was going to ask you as far as being in some of those games, some of those memorable games or, or times where a player is being honored, is it difficult to not get caught up in that and just become a fan? Because especially if you're the home plate umpire, every single pitch you're involved with, I mean, what do you do to make sure you don't get lost and miss that key pitch, miss that key play? You know, a lot of times the training kicks in, but it's so intense out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, people watching that can get that. But it's so intense out there that the last thing you want to do is uh, to be someone that has an effect of the game. You know, and you mentioned, and Jim Joyce won't mind me mentioning this, but, uh, you know, he was a part of with Galarraga's potential perfect game, yep. and then he had a missed call at the end. You know, that's an umpire's worst nightmare. Sure. You know, he would have loved to just been part of that, see it play out and, and go in the dressing room and have any – Nobody even realized he was there. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. And so you're really just bearing down. And, and I've worked the plate now for two perfect games. It was uh, David Cohn in 1999 and, and uh, Matt Cain in 2012. And I just didn't want to be a part of the story. And so you're bearing down so much wanting to get each pitch correct, you know, because if you call a pitch a ball that wasn't, they come back and say, oh, he cost him a perfect game. Mm-hmm. Or you call a pitch a strike that was a ball, and now they're going to say, oh, look, he didn't really deserve it. The umpire gave it to him. or you know. So I just wanted to be perfect myself. And um, the amount of concentration it takes just to block everything out, and that's what becomes the focus at the time. And then when it's over, you sit back and reflect on it and go, okay, that was pretty cool. But to answer your question, I think that's how you avoid getting caught up in the moment is just concentrating on each and every pitch and taking it one at a time and blocking everything out, all the external stuff. As you ask about, you know, how to not get caught up in the emotions of it. And, and uh, because we are fans of the game, um, we feel like we are the uh, kind of the police on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're the, the keepers of the integrity. Because let's face it, if, if they could do without umpires, they probably could. <laughs> but the first time there was a close play, they'd be yelling at each other and screaming at each other. Right. And so they'd say, okay, I guess we do need the umpires. We take pride that we are, you know, kind of the keepers of the integrity and, we're the, uh, like I said, we're the, we're the cops on the field. So we know that's our role. Uh, we're not going to get caught up in it. We just uh, try to concentrate every pitch and every play. That's another question I always had is what is your philosophy in terms of arguing, you know, that happens with managers and players and how much rope you give them? And does it matter what part of the season you're in? Because you know, I'm sure you guys understand that if it's, if it's a pennant race, if it's the playoffs, there's going to be emotion. So how do you handle that side of it? Because there's such a human element that, you know, you're getting screamed at possibly. But then, as you said, you need to somehow make sure that everything you know, stays even keel and, and you police the game. So how do you handle that part? Yeah, we uh, definitely realize the game of emotions. People get caught up in it. But we also remind these, the players that to act professional because, uh, sure. like I said, we're the kind of the guardians of the game and we want, we want the game to run. We want it to be a professional game. We realize uh, it's a family game. But, yeah, people get emotionally charged. They get excited. And they should. You know, you see a player that doesn't care that he just got called out, that he's not playing with passion. And, and uh, we often remind players, hey, don't cross the line. They know what the line is. When you see a player get ejected in the major leagues, it's not a shock to that player. They earned it in that case. <laughs> yeah, they earned it, and they knew what they were doing. Right. Uh, many times they, they were going to vent some frustration, and so they got ejected. It's not a shock. Even if they act shocked and surprised, why would you throw me out? They know exactly why. <laughs> and, and you alluded to sometimes uh, – you know, there's different times of the year. So in the playoffs, you'll see uh, umpires have a little more rope, but certainly not get abused, certainly not uh, tolerate anything. 
that's going to let the game get out of hand. But uh, we'll have a meeting before the first game, and we'll remind the managers, um, hey, we want we don't want uh, to have an effect on this. We want your players to decide it. Mm-hmm. But if you have the players that cross the line, uh, they're going to be ejected. And, and so the managers remind their players of that. And it's definitely um, you know a time where they, uh, the emotions get ramped up. So kind of try to remind the players and keep them in check of that. Well, Ted, I could uh, I could talk with you forever about baseball. As I mentioned uh, off the top, I'm a huge fan. So unfortunately, though, we got to move on to other things and, and make sure we touch on some other aspects here. I wanted to ask you about another passion of yours, and that is calling for Christ. Can you give the listeners a little breakdown of what that is, how it got started, and, and why it's important? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for asking about that. You know, as uh, we shared earlier, baseball is kind of a nomad lifestyle. Like I said, we're always traveling back and forth. So we believe... Uh, not only do we have to keep up physically and we have to keep mentally sharp on the game, we have to stay spiritually sharp. And uh, a lot of us that uh, like to go to church on Sunday, if we worked a normal job, we're not able to do that having Sunday day games. So Calling for Christ is a ministry for professional umpires, major league and minor league guys. We just uh, have a fellowship that uh, during the season, we'll have conference calls, prayer calls, kind of keep each other motivated, keep each other sharp. Uh, during the off season, we have a, a retreat. We get together in December. We just kind of discuss all the uh, everything that goes on during the season and the challenges we face. So it's just a brotherhood, a Christian brotherhood that, uh, like I said, we try to challenge each other and uh, keep each other sharp. And um, we also uh, have an association called um, Umps Care. If you guys are interested in it, check it out, umpscare.com. Uh, we do a lot of hospital visits. We go to uh, children's hospitals when we're in cities. We visit with some kids that are struggling with some uh, physical things and partner up with Build-A-Bear. We take them a nice uh, stuffed animal, just maybe go in there and try to brighten their day a little bit. And it's kind of cool because, you know, usually we walk on the field, people start booing the uniform, right? <laughs> you, you walk into a hospital room where uh, with a sick kid and you take him a Build-A-Bear and he's got a big smile and he's happy to see you. So that's kind of cool. We become the heroes for a day rather than the villains. Until until their da- mom or dad fills them in that you threw out their favorite player in the game the night before. Right, right. Then they're back <laughs> booing us. And, uh, so... If I could plug that, umpscare.com, we got a lot of cool things going on. We do a charity auction, a golf tournament. And then uh, check out callingforchrist.com as well if you want more information on that. And we're happy to uh, get people involved that want to help out with that. So, so thank you for allowing me to, uh, to plug those. Ted, truly my pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, good luck with everything moving forward. As we record this, you're getting ready to uh, ump in one of the playoff series. So um, hopefully all things go well there and we can talk to you again down the road. So thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me, Tim, and uh, we'll do it again sometime, maybe. Awesome. Great. And with that, we will close out this edition of I Want to Be A. And in this case, we're talking about becoming a Major League Baseball umpire. And we're doing that with Ted Barrett, a longtime veteran in Major League Baseball. And if you take a look at it, these umpires are pretty incredible in how many calls they get right, even without replay. Now, if you do want to get in touch with us, give us some feedback, or maybe you're interested in finding out about another type of profession, go ahead and email us at ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter. You can find us at the LJN. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody.